This week on Myths and Legends, it's the end of the Robin Hood legend. Probably. And we'll see how, if you're Great Britain's most wanted, you should probably cool it on the robbery for a little while. The creature this week is why, as in swimming, you should wait 30 minutes after you eat to jump into battle with your demon brother. This is Myths and Legends, episode 273, The Good Thief. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. So, Robin Hood, depending on the legend, is either a dispossessed nobleman who went to the forest to stand up to tyranny, or a guy who liked robbing people and went into the forest to rob people and maybe eventually stand up against injustice. We have him living in Sherwood Forest, outside of Nottingham, with his band of merry men. Marion, his childhood friend and love interest, is currently MIA, and after an archery contest for the queen went very badly, Robin learned that he was under siege in Sherwood Forest, and that's where we'll catch up with him today. Forty days. Robin had eluded the manhunt and appealed to the queen herself. He had a 40-day stay of execution. Forty days until they stormed the forest. Even Sir Richard, their knight buddy, had to keep his distance from Sherwood. Robin sat stewing, perseverating on what he had heard from the queen. Marion, in danger. Marion was smarter than any of them, and she wouldn't have left proof, but men like the sheriff... The Sheriff of Donningham, he didn't need proof. He was all-powerful in his little sphere, and even a favorite of the Queen wouldn't be safe. Little John was off leading the patrol on the northern border of Sherwood. Robin had already dispatched an assassin sent to him by the Sheriff. Previously, he might have taken the body into town just to mess with the Sheriff. But he couldn't risk anything now. Not with Marion in danger. Will Scarlet whistled from the trees. Hey, They had a live one. Robin reached for his bow. Another assassin. He would deal with this like he did with the others. Will said, no. It was an abbot, traveling with the others. Robin sat back down. Oh, okay. Let them pass. Will said, uh, since when did they let guys pass? Robin said since they barely escaped back here with their lives? Since the sheriff discovered that Marion was a traitor to him and had been feeding them information the whole time, Will said that Marion could handle herself. And at what point in any of their time together had Robin and his crew not been on the run from the law? Still, it's, it's a trap, obviously, Robin said with a tone that told Will not to press the issue further. But Will did press. He said that these guys were walking with big sacks of gold under their habits enough to get the crew through winter. Even if it was a trap, they could stay in control the whole time. Will put his hand on Robin's shoulder. Look, they were going to win this. He was Robin Hood. He always wins. They were going to get Marion out of there, humiliate the sheriff, maybe kill him, and keep up the good fight in the forest. Robin needed to look past these 40 days. Look past it for them and for himself. And if Robin wasn't going to go, 
relieve these priests of their money, Will would lead the party. Robin said fine. He didn't want Will to go alone. They would rob these priests. He just wanted Will to know it, it was a trap. Yeah, probably, Will shrugged. At least it would keep things interesting. Have you no regard for holy men? The abbot shouted at them from under his cowl. Yeah, sure do, Robin said. Let me know if you see any. The outlaw drew his staff. He had already done the usual, informing the priests that two dozen arrows were ready to turn them into human pincushions unless they surrendered their cash. And if I refuse, the abbot stood tall. Robin said that's what the archers are for? What about this robbery and the threats wasn't he understanding? Now, Robin didn't want to disrespect the man more by making him strip naked in the forest so Robin could get the gold. Robin would, however, absolutely do that if the men didn't hand over the coins in 10 seconds. The priests all pulled out a sack of gold. Robin gave a signal, and Will Scarlet and Much the Miller's son stepped from the forest and began counting out the coins. No need to count. There's a hundred in each of them, the abbot said. It was for the local church. You can keep half, Robin said. And they could keep their lives, assuming those were worth something. Oh, they are, the abbot said, thanking the men in Lincoln green cloaks. Robin handed the bags back, and the men affixed them to their belts, this time in the open. The abbot said, now, oh, he was parched. In fact, he would pay 50 gold for a drink. Robin paused. He thought that money was for the church. The abbot grinned. Are you kidding me? We steal it all the time. <laughs> I am the church. Robin nodded. Yep, there it is. The arrogance. Yeah, he knew just the place to get a drink. For the abbot and his friends, it would cost them about 50 gold, too. Good King Richard, Robin raised his glass, and the abbot sat confused. King Richard, the Lionheart. Robin, an outlaw, toasted the king. Robin nodded, of course. He didn't respect the church or the sheriff, but the king? Robin's family had fought beside him in the Crusades. He was a brave man and a valiant leader. Too bad he surrounded himself with lesser men. The abbot nodded. He'd drink to that. The abbot and his men sat talking with the outlaws, and at the abbot's insistence, after having spent so much of his coin on cheap drinks, Robin showed the travelers some entertainment. They played instruments and sang, told stories. It was nearly twilight when the lookouts heard horses crashing through the forest. Horses. None of Robin's men rode horses. Too loud, too cumbersome. This was someone else. Robin rose and grabbed his bow, and when Sir Richard, remember their friend who's a knight, burst through the trees, Robin nearly put an arrow in his chest. Richard said he got here as quickly as he could. The king. The king was mobilizing against Robin. Personally, he took a handful of guards and made off into the forest. Richard came as soon as he learned, and he looked at the visitors Robin was entertaining by the fire, and nearly tumbled off his horse. 
His armor clanged as he landed awkwardly and bowed. Your Highness. Robin turned to the man who had been sitting by the fire. The abbot. The abbot rose. Well, shoot. Robin, too, bowed. So did his men. The abbot, the king, rose. No, come on. They were laughing and talking normally for once. He didn't get a lot of that. He turned to Richard. Richard, these are good guys. You were right. Sir Richard smiled. King Richard, remember Richard the Lionheart, said he spoke with his wife, and he had to meet with Robin face to face. So he commanded the sheriff to stay in Nottingham while he gathered his men, made the trip out here. Robin was arrogant, could be brutally violent, was frighteningly careless and unpredictable, but he was good. There were things that were broken in their land. Rulers and clergy squeezed people, taking advantage of their needs of shelter and food, and their wants of a better tomorrow, even if that tomorrow came after death. Robin's actions weren't right, but Richard could see, now, that they were necessary. King Richard the Lionheart rose and placed his hand on the bowing Robin's shoulder, telling him to rise. He didn't need to hide in the forest anymore. He was being pardoned by the king. Furthermore, he could have his father's lands back, and he would be right hand to the king. Together, they were going to change things. Robin was speechless. He couldn't believe it. Pardoned? He wouldn't need to live out here? He could actually do something, help people, and he wouldn't need to rob anyone again? Not only that, but he knew, somewhere, his father was proud of him. Robin smiled and nodded once. There was one thing, though. Marion. Robin opened his mouth to utter her name when an arrow sunk in his chest. Both Robin and King Richard looked at the arrow, neither of them quite processing what they were seeing, but only for a moment. Robin struggled to breathe as he staggered back. Shouts went up, but they were muffled in his mind. His men were yelling. Ambush. They were surrounded. Robin, on the ground now, saw King Richard the Lionheart waving his hands back and forth, trying to stop things. One of Robin's own ran forward to aid their leader, and one of the king's men drew a short sword from under his robe and cut the outlaw down. It was bedlam after that. The outlaws took up arms against everyone. The king's bodyguard rushed him away into the forest, killing anyone who got in their way, and the sheriff of Nottingham trotted out on his horse. The torchlight danced across the sheriff's face. He was a demon. His men rushed en masse from the forest. Robin's men rushed to meet them. The air grew thick with the hot, iron smell of blood. Robin winced. It was hard to breathe now. The arrow must have hit a lung. He pulled himself up to a tree and unsheathed his dagger. The sheriff was a smart man and wouldn't get close, but if he did, to gloat, Robin would have a parting gift for him. The sheriff trotted across the battlefield that used to be Robin's hideout. He opened his mouth to choke. An arrow had flown from the edge of the forest found the sheriff's neck 
and lodged itself about halfway through. Blood began to pour down his armor, and the sheriff toppled from his horse. Robin looked to the forest and saw little John lower his bow. He yelled something, and a contingent of Robin's men rushed to aid their friends. Then, Robin remembered. Marion. Robin broke the arrow off in his chest and dragged himself forward. He lifted the sheriff's head out of the dirt. Where is she? Blood dripped from the corners of the sheriff's mouth as he let out a gasping, gurgling laugh. He couldn't speak anymore. Robin gripped the hair of the sheriff's head, pulling him closer. Where was she? But the sheriff didn't respond. He would never respond again. The sheriff of Nottingham, the great enemy of Robin's family, was finally dead. Robin felt someone grab his arm and drag him, but he fought, kicking at the sheriff. Shaking him, little John pulled his friend and leader from the ground. The sheriff was gone, dead, and they would be with him if they didn't leave now. Robin fought little John as John dragged him from their now burning hideout. Robin's friends, men who had trusted him with their lives, lay dead all around them. And Robin knew that John was right. The sheriff was dead, and any hope of finding Marion had died with him. Robin blacked out from the pain. We'll see the aftermath of Robin's greatest defeat, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Little John smiled. Back from the dead. Robin sat up. He felt his chest. The arrow was gone. It was bandaged. It hurt. Wow, it hurt. But he was alive. He looked around. The stone room. Where were they? At Abbey, John laughed. He had ridden a day and a night. Lucky for them, all those guys they robbed for all those years were the forgiving type. John dragged Robin here, alone. Four days ago, the abbot himself had aided the outlaw. They lied and said that they were attacked by bandits. So if anyone asks, that's the story. Still, Robin was lucky. Robin tried to rise, but winced. John dashed over to the bed and eased Robin back down by his good shoulder. Robin needed to rest. 
Robin said he couldn't, not when Marion was out there, still in danger. Little John laughed. Oh yeah, about that. Uh, she wasn't? Robin sat up. Wait, what? John nodded. Yeah, he had checked up with his people in Nottingham. Marion was fine. She was safe. She was with her father, but knowing her, it shouldn't be too difficult to get away. Little John said he was just so happy Robin had survived. The whole world thought he was dead. What was left of the merry men were scattered to the wind after the attack. Most of them had taken up, like, actual employment. It was weird. Little John had ways of getting word to everyone. Everyone who was still left. They could rebuild. It wouldn't be like it was before. It would be better. But first things first, John said, grabbing his coat. He would find Marion. She had to know. Robin sighed. No. John half smiled. He was confused. Was this part of a trick or a plan? Because Robin did a lot of those. Robin swallowed hard. No, John. Little John just stood there. Okay, Robin was going to have to explain to him because this didn't make any sense. Robin was good. Sure, he was still like technically an outlaw, but when wasn't he an outlaw? The status quo was back. We hit them. They hit us. We hit back harder. It's what we do. The people out there, they need us. Robin sighed. He was so tired. You get to a certain point in your life and you have to ask yourself, is what I'm doing meaningful? John said yes. Robin helped so many people. He gave their whole troop a purpose, a meaning. Robin shook his head. Maybe they had helped some people, but he had only put people he cared about in danger again and again. Maybe he had helped, or maybe he just did that to justify stealing from people and doing whatever he wanted. All those people back at their hideout, all their friends, you don't bring peace by causing fear. You don't bring healing by causing pain. I mean, sometimes you can, John thought about it. it. Surgeries, amputations, scaring the bad guys into not doing bad things. He kept listing things off. John, it's rhetorical. Robin stopped him. The fact of the matter was, he was tired. Had anything really changed because of him? He knew that without him, the people he cared about most, Marion, Little John, Much, Will, Friar Tuck, all of them might lead normal lives. At the very least, they wouldn't be in constant danger. But would they live? Little John rejoined. Literally, yes, Robin laid back. That was his whole point. Oh, now you're literal, John shook his head. Robin said, please, please respect this. It was his final wish. The sheriff was dead. The world thought Robin was gone. All that he asked of John was that John let them keep thinking that. Even Marion? Especially Marion. Robin tried to choke back tears. Without him, Marion would have a life, the life she was meant to have. She was like a polymath. She had served under royalty. She could beat all of them in a fight, and had. She'd beat Robin, at least. She could be so much if she didn't have him pulling her toward the forest. And what are you going to do? John said, right off into the sunset? Robin shook his head and gestured to the abbey. He was going to stay. 
Here, John asked. Robin nodded. Yes, that's what stay means. He would try to work off the stain of his sin. John tried. Tried convincing Robin to come back. But Robin decided that he was finished with that life. If they accepted him here, he would remain. John shook his head. He would keep Robin's secret. But he clenched his fists and shook in a brief fit of rage before slamming open the door and storming down the stone stairs. Robin did recover, and in time, he could breathe again, normally. He talked to the abbot, saying that he wasn't returning to the world. This attack on the road, it had changed him. Robin asked if he could stay. He wouldn't eat much, and he would work more than his share for the chance to stay here and live a simple life. The abbot agreed, though he said that Robin wasn't the only one joining them. Robin looked down the dusty hall. John, Robin said. Oh, you know each other? The abbot walked Robin past the tables. Yeah, he is the one that brought me in here. Carried me the whole way. The biggest habit they had barely covered John's shins. So the abbot nodded. Yeah, that, that tracked. Your secret is safe with me, John whispered to Robin. But I never said anything about leaving you. Robin allowed himself a smile. He was grateful for John's friendship. Though, privately, he gave John about a week before the man got bored with the place, maybe robbed it, and took off into the woods. Robin was wrong, though. John stayed. The Abbey was an oasis. They heard bits and pieces about the outside world. King Richard was dead, for one. Rebels had shot Richard the Lionheart with a crossbow outside a siege. And, like Robin, King Richard survived the initial attack, but his wound became infected, too. He wasn't so fortunate. His brother, John, was king now. They heard of cruel lords and warring kings, but all that, that was somewhere else. Here, with their kind abbot, John and Robin were happy. John was a workhorse when it came to farming and building. He learned to read and went to bed each night with a full stomach. Robin was content in the knowledge that here, Removed from the grand schemes, he couldn't hurt anyone else he cared for. No one would suffer and die because of him. One day, while John worked in the field and Robin piled carrots in a basket, a shadow fell over the former outlaw. Robin? Robin stood still for a moment, then looked up. Robert, he replied. A traveling friar stood on the path next to him. Oh, my apologies, the friar said. You, you look like a friend of mine. He died about a year ago. Sometimes I dream, though, that he didn't. That he's living far off somewhere. That he found peace. That would be nice, Robin said. He told the friar that the friar looked like someone he used to know too. Someone he thought was dead. It would be wonderful if that man was still alive. The friar nodded at the monk who called himself Robert and continued on down the road. 
When he crested the hill, Robin heard footsteps pounding the path. Little John was out of breath. Was that Friar Tuck? Ah, man! John couldn't believe he missed him. He hadn't seen that guy in forever. Robin said, no, he didn't think so. Just some traveling friar. No one of note. No, that was definitely Friar Tuck. I'd know that guy anywhere. He lived with us for years. John started. Oh my gosh, yes, it was Friar Tuck. Can you stop saying Friar Tuck? The last thing we need is someone recognizing Tuck. It will put him, us, and everyone he's come into contact with in danger, Robin said, turning back to his carrots. John said, jeez, whoa, okay. Uh, and for the record, Robin just said Friar Tuck like three times in a row. Just saying. It had been two years now. Two years since their hideout in the forest burned. Two years since Robin lost everything. He still lived in the past, though. He was a ghost. He wasn't dead, but he barely existed in the world of the living. Robin barely spoke, even to little John. But with one word, it was like he woke up from a dream. Yeah, Marion, little John said, soaking the bread in his mouth with wine. When did she start looking for us? John thought about it. Well, they had been in hiding for about two years, so yeah, it had been two years since she got away from her father's house. I've been keeping tabs on her and feeding my sources some false info. You're welcome. I'm fairly certain she suspects you're alive, or at the very least, she knows you weren't lost with the fire. Robin sat back. She would keep hunting. She would keep at it until she found him here. He owed Marion more than disappearing forever. He realized, after all this time, that he couldn't do that to her. They meant more to each other than that. Find her, John, Robin said. Bring her here. I need to say a proper goodbye. John tried not to smile, but he still smiled. He knew. He knew if Robin saw Marion again, it would bring him back from the dead. It would bring them both back from purgatory. I mean, his was pretty good. It wasn't bad here. Yes, he rose. His smile left him, though, when he heard Robin's cough. What? His friend and leader asked. He would be fine. It was just a cough. You push yourself too hard. You stay out when it's too cold, too wet, John said, feeling Robin's forehead. He nodded. I have a lot to atone for, Robin said, staring off. So many people. You need to let it go. It's in the past. You had your reasons and you helped a lot of people. Little John tried to help, and, but Robin pushed his dinner away. Not enough people. Not enough to justify everything that happened. Find Marion. Please. John said that he would, but if that fever got any worse, Robin needed to speak with the abbot. Little John left that night. Coming up, it's the end of our story. But that will, once again, be right after this. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Brother Robert, the abbot said, when he found Robin rising from bed. He went over and gently pushed Robin back down. Robert shouldn't go out there. Not today. His fever was getting worse. Robin told the abbot that he was fine, really. He liked the work, and he wanted to do it. But the abbot told him his fever was still raging. If Robert wasn't careful, he would work himself to death. Robin didn't feel as strongly about it as the abbot, but... He stayed in bed, stayed as the fever grew. By day five after John had left, Robin couldn't even bring himself to rise from bed, not even for his self-imposed penance. Who's she? Robin said as the abbot entered with the prioress from a nearby priory. The abbot said they had to do something and she was a more skilled healer than he was. They both looked him over. The herbs weren't working. He said Brother Robert's fever was only getting worse. They couldn't wait. They needed to do some bloodletting. Robin's back stuck to the sheets on the straw mattress. He nodded, yes, please, anything to make this go away. The prioress asked the abbot to stay with the patient. She would be back with a razor and a vase. Robin sat, his head swimming in misery and malaise. He wanted to stay alive. He knew he still had more to do to make up for what he had done. The prioress returned. Robin opened his eyes as the man rolled up his sleeve. He told Brother Robert to hold out a fist. The prioress found the right lump and nicked it. Blood snaked in vain down Robert's forearm and into the basin. You'll start feeling better soon. You can leave us, the abbot said to the monk standing at the door. It was late spring and the infirmary was empty, save Robin. You're always so busy, working out in the fields, building, helping the Abbey fulfill our many needs. I've hardly spoken to you over these past two years, the abbot said. He gently moved Robin's arm. The blood continued trickling. It's not that we don't appreciate it. You were a godsend when you first arrived. But then, because of your zeal, I started to wonder, what is he trying to atone for? Robin began to feel the dread of his memories seeping back in. The abbot was saying something, but he didn't hear it. He could only think of the day he lost everything and everyone. The day the king betrayed him and the sheriff attacked some outlaws in the forest. He caught up with what the abbot was saying. That was 
about the time you came to us. Wounded. The man now had Robin's attention. What? Oh, we pulled the tip of the arrow out. The healers almost threw it away, but I kept it. I have friends in high places too. Not the king, or the late king, that is. But high enough to match with one of the sheriff's crossbow bolts. Robin was lucid enough to know that there was nowhere his past couldn't find him. Not even in this abbey in the middle of the wilderness. Not even when he left it behind, when he was trying to do right. Uh, Don't worry. We've known for two years, he pointed to the prioress, and we're not telling anyone. (laughs) Who would we tell? Everyone who hunted you is dead themselves. But they had to ask. Now that they were alone, did Robin feel sorry for what he did to all those people? Robin was about to say yes every day. He lost so many. The abbot continued, but I shouldn't lie. That's not why I didn't tell the crown. I kept it to myself because I wanted you to myself. In an instant, the abbot was on his chest, pinning him. The prioress was holding out his arm, and Robin felt another sharp plunge of the knife into it. He looked down. The blood flowed hot and strong this time. Robin struggled. What was going on? They weren't all bad, you know. The monks, the priests you robbed, the abbot said, watching the blood pour from Robin's artery as he kept Robin pinned. Robin tried to pull his arm away, but the prioress's grip was like iron. They were both calm, methodical. They watched. You didn't just rob them all, though, did you? The abbot continued. You killed early on. You were brutal. You just murder people and leave their bodies for the crows. That was before you refined yourself as this man of the people, back when you were just some common highwayman. Robin tried to rise, to cry out, but he couldn't move. He was too weak now. The spit flex from the abbot's rotting teeth found Robin's face. Even the ones you just robbed, they were never the same. Afraid to pass through the forest, afraid to leave their homes. Some were good men. The bishops and the higher-ups, sure, they were bad, but we understood their game. We played by it. They skimmed more than their fair share, sure, but we did get some of the money they carried for our parishes, our poor, until you came along. Then, then the bishops claimed that the brigands had attacked them, oh no. They said that the portion that was left was for them, while you threw parties in the forest. The prioress chuckled, still watching the blood. You bled us dry, so we're bleeding you dry. Literally, it's poetic in its own way. The abbot finally looked Robin in the eyes. You're a bad person. You've done terrible things and you will leave the world a worse place than you found it. I'm doing a service by taking you out of it. He half cocked his head back to the prioress. Do it. He looked back to Robin. Time to go. Then a couple things happened. A shriek went up from behind the abbot and then the abbot went rigid locked up. His eyes lost focus, and he dropped from the blow little John gave him on the back of his head. Robin's right-hand man and best friend didn't bother to catch the abbot. Robin barely noticed that, 
all he saw was her. The prioress stood there frozen. Marion reached for her staff and, and gave a little short fake out, and the woman ran from the room. Then Marion rushed over to Robin. Holding him, she was weeping. Robin was holding on for her. John bandaged up Robin's arm, looking down at the basin on the floor. Wow, that was a lot of blood. Robin said he was sorry. He ruined everything. Her hopes and prospects were dashed because of him. He thought it was better if he stayed away from everyone. Marion smiled as she stroked his hair. That was his choice. Her choice was to ignore his choice and search for him. It hadn't been easy. Because I hid him so well, John said, wrapping up Robin's arm. No, Marion replied. Because there are so many of you now. Little John stopped and Robin froed his brow. What? Marion said that, yeah, Robin had inspired people. There were now a dozen Robins or Roberts or whatever out there in the forests of England. It wasn't just outlaws either. Because Robin stood up to oppression, to unfairness, to injustice, people were waking up to the fact that they didn't have to put up with it either. Things could be different. It was small, but it was growing. And Marion thought that at some point, no force in the world would be able to stop it. Robin, with parched lips, said that he thought, the abbot said that he was a failure, that his only legacy was violence. Marion shook her head. Robin was more than a person, more than his mistakes. He was a symbol of normal, everyday people standing up to tyranny and injustice. Anyone could be Robin Hood. Everyone could be Robin Hood. She kissed him on the forehead. Robin breathed, but after the kiss, Marion looked to John concerned. Tears found the rims of her eyelids. She turned away to wipe them. You don't need to do that, Robin said. Protect me, that is. I know. Her face contorted in anguish. She buried her face in his chest. She held him. He held her too. He wished they had more time. When he relaxed his grip, she moved away. Robin opened his arms and little John absolutely bawling, ran in for a hug. Robin thanked his best and most loyal friend. John stepped back. Oh, one more thing. Did Robin want him to burn this place to the ground? He would do it. As revenge? That's actually in one of the originals, by the way. Robin said no. Thank you, though. Just let it go. They were only doing what they thought was right. He did ask for one more thing. A bow. Little John produced his own. An arrow, too. Robin struggled to sit up in bed. He was so weak now. But he wanted to do one last thing. Robin Hood should die with a bow in his hand. He knocked the arrow. Would they do him a favor? Would they bury him where this arrow stuck in the ground? The pair nodded. Of course. Robin took a deep breath and raised the bow. He looked to the two people he loved most in the world and said goodbye. As he looked out the window, he looked to the next stage of his journey on this grand adventure. He pulled back the bowstring and let the arrow fly. It flew through the air, far off. Robin relaxed his arms and settled back into the bed. Marion wrapped her arms around him and little John stood at the window.
Robin, finally free, could go. He could find rest. Oh, sorry, buddy. It looks like your arrow landed in a stream, John called out from the window. Marion threw up her hands. Really, John? What? I wanted to honor his last wish, but I can't dig in a stream. Robin, think you have one more in you? (laughs) Robin laughed. He was grateful for John, being able to send him off with a smile. He told them yes. Bring in the bow. The second arrow landed farther off than the first, under a tree. It was if Robin knew, because with that arrow, his life flew from his body as well. He laid back and breathed his last. Little John and Marion stood side by side by the freshly piled grave with a small stone to signify it belonged to Robin Hood, a living legend. Little John said, wasn't he like a noble? Didn't he have this whole estate? Shouldn't he be there instead with his ancestors? Some grand tomb? Marion shook her head. This was his place. The forest, the wilderness, with the people. This was where Robin Hood belonged. The pair walked off arm in arm and together passed in the legend themselves. The Robin Hood legends were really tricky to get right, and I hope I did so. Like I do with most stuff for this podcast, I look back at the oldest versions and slowly work my way forward, constructing a narrative that makes sense, but also doesn't come out of nowhere. That was difficult to do here. Basically, today's episode comes from some early ballads, and some later works. The bit with the king is present early on, as is Robin's death by bloodletting by a vengeful woman of the cloth. I originally planned on doing something like I did with Cochet, where I had Robin faking his death and then coming back under a pseudonym in a later story to find Marion, but all those stories were frankly deeply unsatisfying, and the more I thought about Robin's death by clergy, the more I actually liked it. I think I've said this before, but I love stories where actions have consequences, and it would make sense that Robin, who spent so long robbing the clergy, would fall victim to one. For someone who beat life-threatening situations so many times because he was acting like a complete scoundrel, it is just so perfect that he would be killed as a result of his past when he was actually trying to change himself. Full disclosure, a relatively famous version of the story from the 1800s has Robin getting pardoned by the king, going to live in court for a few years, but then inexplicably feeling the call to go back to the forest. He got the band back together, was attacked by the sheriff, killed him, and ended up in the abbey anyway and died from a vengeful nun. It made so much more sense, for me, to write the story how we did because it cuts so many of the nonsensical characterizations that seem to only exist to venerate the king and to be something of a boulderization, essentially demonstrating that even outlaws love Daddy King. We might revisit the different versions of Robin, like the one from Ivanhoe or a bunch of different plays, but as for the ballads, this is Robin's end. It usually doesn't have Marion coming back, but I wanted to include her there at the end and communicate some of the eventual Robin Hood legend, how he would come to be seen, 
but John's pretty much always there. And sometimes he does fight off Robin's attackers to give his buddy a little bit more time. Next week, we're in folklore of the Czech Republic and Poland with a story of a water monster, a sleazy wizard, and a witch doing some surgery. If you're looking for something else to listen to, Scoundrel is out with a new episode this week. It's the story of colonial American con artist, Sarah Wilson, who is something like Forrest Gump meets Anna Delvey. She might have even communicated with some of the founding fathers. It's a really good story. Uh, You can find the show there by searching for Scoundrel wherever you get your podcasts or by just following the link in the show notes. The creature this week is the Kumbhakarna from Hindu mythology. Kumbhakarna was a giant. That in itself is not a big deal. It's not really noteworthy that it was hungry from the moment it was born either. Most babies are, and I imagine giants are no exception. The Kumbhakarna was different because he could never be satisfied. He was eternally hungry. Buffaloes, cows, goats, sheep, humans, nothing was safe. He could down all of those at a single breakfast, wash it down with a cellar full of wine, and then move on to second breakfast. It worked out, though, that some heroes tricked him into wishing for eternal sleep. I mean, if you think about it, it would be kind of torturous to be Kumbhakarna, constantly hungry and never satisfied. So, with some negotiation from his brother, he worked it down to just kind of a year-long hibernation. He wakes up once a year, just downs an entire feast, and then goes back to sleep for another year. Kind of amazing. Well... It wasn't amazing for his demon brother, Ravana, who, when he was attacked by the god Rama for, you know, kidnapping the god's wife, Ravana sought his jovial brother's aid. The problem? It was nap time for Kumakarna. It usually was. Ravana needed his brother's help, so he tried to wake Kumakarna up with the thing he loved most, a feast, and it worked. Kind of. Kumakarna, after eating a few dozen sheep and humans in his sleep, eventually woke up and finished the entire meal. He learned his brother was in trouble, and even though he was not super into fighting, he was duty-bound to help. So he went to the battlefield. Like swimming, it is apparently a very bad idea to go into combat after a large meal. Kumakarna, slow, tired, and bloated, was immediately cut down. And while this might not have been a big deal at first, he could survive the slices, it took him down to the size of a normal person, and the hero cut off his head. So I think the lesson here is that If you have something to do, it's probably just safer and better to stay in bed. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.